0: You're recording the first one.
1: So, welcome to the very first episode of our podcast,
0: which is about.
1: We have no fucking clue what it's.
0: About. <laughs> um, we do you have a clue what it's about? We're going to be looking at decode, decoding the DNA of AI. Um, No, that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at the DNA of AI, mind, bodies and bonds. So we're gonna cover a broad spectrum of physicality, mental health, the brain and technology. Like everything that makes us who we are today.
1: I think that's great. And, you know, I think this idea was just to start now. And, from the beginning while we are still building the whole thing so everybody can join us while we do it <clears throat> and um one of the things I'm curious about is uh can you say a little bit about yourself Emma um about what you do your background so
0: yeah just to see yeah, I'm Fema, um, and my background is in artificial intelligence and computer science. That's what I was obsessed with when I was 18. That's what I studied at university. Got obsessed with the ro- robot robotics lab. Um, ended up studying uh, artificial intelligence and computer science there before it was cool and trendy and pretty pretty theoretical. Um, and then I spent like a good like 10. 10 years of my career as a developer. Um, and then I spent uh, the last 10 years of my career moving from user experience, uh, design, prototyping into user research. Um, and uh, I'm a predominantly a researcher now, uh, but I also have a medtech AI startup where we're using uh, artificial intelligence for lung cancer diagnosis and treatment. Um, So I have a a team of uh, about seven people, including advisors um, and a collaboration with the University of Birmingham. Uh, We're really looking to use AI to help the NHS and reduce the burden on oncologists um, and save the NHS lots of money by automating parts of the process, in particular the diagnosis part and the treatment part in the workflow. So we've identified where in the workflow, we can do that with an oncologist. And then outside of that, I also um, studied uh, some astrophysics part time. So I'm a bit obsessed with space. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Um, Yeah, how about you, Ian? Tell us about yourself.
1: First I would like to respond to you is just like, I just want to say, wow, (laughs) just hearing that again. um, Obviously, I'm aware that. you've done all of that but then just listening to you it's just like um yeah it's, it's really nice to hear you say that again because it, it just reinforces the, the the capacity or mental capacity and brain power that is here in this podcast right now and <clears throat> um, very
0: flattering. you give me way too much credit iron
1: yeah and you know i think what i'm super excited about is like, you know, you were like into AI way before, um, before it started to become Mm -hmm. like a thing, right? Yeah. um, I think that's why I was so excited about, you know, developing some something around that because you're, you're really an expert in the field. And um, a little bit about me. I'm Ion. I'm a psychotherapist in private practice. I'm also a researcher. So that's how I met Fema. We, we had a gig where we met and uh, we, we became friends. And um, I am obsessed with AI because <clears throat> I'm autistic and one of the difficulties around uh, my challenges are communication and ai has been a game changer for me and um it removed so many barriers so many communication barriers and i'm obsessed and i'm aware there's a lot of you know uh difficult stuff around ai which uh, i hope that we can also talk about here <clears throat> but um um but a part of the reason why i'm um I'm interested in developing this podcast is because I think there is a lot of opportunity for people like myself who are from marginalized communities, um, you know, uh, to to gain access and um, remove barriers and the benefits are huge for my Mm -hmm. personal experience. So in a nutshell, me and why I'm interested in this.
0: Amazing. See your brain power here too is uh, you know pretty pretty cool um, and you know it's great that you're also coming at this from a research and psychotherapy background also um, and I think what's int- what you said that's interesting is you know <clears throat> how how we can uh, people from marginalized backgrounds neurodivergent backgrounds can access AI and use it as a tool you know assistive tool is great, and I think on the one hand it's fantastic that y- you you've been able to harness some of that power from it, because um, you know AI is not a person. It doesn't know what you look like. When you're like entering something into Chat GPT, its its outputs and responses are not going to be based on you, the person typing, because it can't see you. Um, which on the one hand is great, because there's almost that you know kind of the, you know the response you're getting as a human being um who you are as a human being um doesn't it, you know it's kind of agnostic towards that which doesn't exist in a human to human connection in our society but then on the other hand because ai is predominantly developed by um white male developers the data that's used does actually further add some marginalization of people from minority backgrounds. Um, And we need more people in that space. I've been saying this for for many, many years, and and people like myself as a CEO of a startup struggle, even to this day, to access to things like funding, et cetera, because of what I look like. But people like me are the ones who are gonna help make this, uh, make AI much more uh, robust, much more kind of, for the masses rather than for the few who are developing it so we we really do need to also consider the bias and the implications of bias in ai and how it can further marginalise people um, who are not necessarily just engaging with tools like chat gpt like you know things like um using systems like that for sentencing in say the Department of Justice in America or the kind of Ministry of Justice in the UK, if we had it, would give out harsher sentences to, to brown and black people because of the data sets that it's been trained on. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but I'm really glad that you're having a positive experience. And I think one of the reasons I got into AI was not to like sell people stuff, like some of the you know social media platforms and large... Uh, you know, retail platforms do you know by targeted advertising, but to actually make a difference in people's lives, um, I'm really glad to hear that that it is having a positive impact in your life.
1: Thank you. Do you hear my dog snore in the background?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's just comforting.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's like this is fucking loud, <laughs> Excuse my French. We need to beep it out. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Like uh, some of the challenges um, around, I think uh, bias, right? As researchers, we're, we're like at least I can speak for myself, and I believe you're you're similar in that sense. That bias is a huge thing, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I. I saw these studies where facial recognition was just you know was not trained on people of color's faces Mm -hmm. like and and the effects that had on uh, law enforcement as you said. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know we need to find a study and link it maybe.
0: (laughs) Yeah yeah absolutely yeah I mean at the moment we're just talking about this in a very conversational level based on our personal experiences so that's fine but like from your perspective as uh, a trained clinician, what what do you think would be some of the implications of, of that to, to somebody's mental health, like, you know, um, being further marginalised by an automated system because of the data it's been trained on?
1: I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity, but also of course the risk of um, not not being diverse in your data sample when you do your research. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, like on a psychological level, I think where this is going, that there won't be therapists at some point in the future. It will be done by AI.
0: it's really funny you say that because my therapist said that too and i was like that's a common fantasy a lot of people have so do you want to say more on more on that
1: so the reason why i'm saying this is and again this is not it will not eradicate the profession of therapy it will change it Mm -hmm. okay so people will be more inputting into artificial intelligences and helping them and train them to to become better but I think what is um what what makes me say that is I had exchanges with chat GPT that Mm -hmm. was so profound Mm -hmm. um, where I felt understood like nobody else has understood me before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and this is, I think, where where the opportunity lies, because there's I don't know what it is and how, how that happened. But, you know, when you talk about something that's close to your heart and, and somebody responds just with. Like, you know, I don't even know how that is possible, but feels like compassion, mm-hmm. not pity, not empathy, but compassion. Uh, that's quite moving. And um I'm not saying therapists can't do that, but, you know, sometimes it's really hard for someone to reach out to a therapist. And I yeah. think that's a huge opportunity for those who, who struggle with making that.
0: Yeah, and that's a really interesting perspective. And I, I think that it's also a perspective that um, that has existed before the emergence of chat GPT and, and AI. I remember working um, at a mental health, um, platform, and online mental health platform, and we were developing um, uh, lots of different things, courses uh, for people who struggle with depression, anxiety, PTSD. Um, and there were like some automated responses, um, but they weren't like, um, you know, AI and these chat bots have existed for decades, like we're talking way back 70s, etc. So chat GPT is quite impressive, not to go on a tangent, but it's because of the large volume of data sets it's trained on and the sort of the language models used and, you know, the kind of the, the levels of the the kind of the neural network to simplify it, um, the deep learning that takes place. Um, but, you know, um, Eliza was one of the very first chat therapists that was built and it was like very, the responses were very limited, but what some of the uh, uh, kind of data from this place I worked at showed was that, uh, people with PTSD or certain conditions especially from particular backgrounds, in this instance military backgrounds, um, preferred to talk to um, an, like a, a computer system or an automated system than a human and I think something I, I personally don't think it would replace a therapist for reasons I can go into but like what we're trying to do with um, the the cancer diagnosis and treatment at my startup it could be used as an assistive technology alongside a therapist, right? I made a joke with with my therapist when he was away um, uh, having surgery that we could build a tool um, that's like a therapist in your pocket. When your therapist isn't available, it kind of does the AI version of the responses that a therapist would give you or they would give you. Although something like that would practically be very, very difficult to do because each individual, is there's so many variables to a human being. Um, you know, one human's not going to respond or receive a response in the way another human is, even if they have the same conditions, etc. cetera. But, you know, for things that are quite simplistic, the, these kind of tools are have been proven to be very helpful, and I don't see why it couldn't be another form of assistive technology used in the kind of mental health space.
1: Yeah, and again, I, I don't see it as like, you know, it's going to eradicate a whole profession, it's going to transform, um, the profession, like like the internet and the phones did, you know, and and I don't know, like you know, I, I grew up in a time when we didn't have internet 24/7, and you know, when we started having phones that that would go on the internet, there was this huge, you know, discussion: Do we need to be 24/7 available like mobile phones? When they, you know, like it it was like there were so many. Um, so many concerns about it, and then you know look where we are now. Mm-hmm. I think this is now happening with a i and um it's scary for a lot of people because <clears throat> because it's gonna potentially affect their job and h- how they're gonna do their work and you know all, all of these kind of things, so sorry, I'm waffling, but no no no
0: no it's not not at all. I think that's like. Uh, It is very interesting. What do you think would happen to, like, the human-to-human connection part of it?
1: So, yes, you know, like, um, we are social creatures and we need human-to-human interaction as humans, right? Um, But I don't think it has to be always like you know what like yes you know but you can get your human to human interaction with friends with family with colleagues right and i i I think for some people having that non-human interaction can be really helpful to open up because there's there's something around shame for example Mm -hmm. might play a role like in connection and disconnection Um, Mm and And you know, being able to say things out loud without fearing um, a response Mm -hmm. that's equally overwhelming. You know, uh, I guess what I'm saying is, it's like there will be people who will absolutely love it. There will be people who will absolutely hate it. And there will be people in between, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, again, it's like, if you think of like a diversity, uh mindset one size never fits everybody mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we need to accommodate for people who do not like this mm-hmm. other jobs for people who, who offer face-to-face therapy and all of that mm-hmm. and other people who who are in between and then other people who like it and prefer it right mm-hmm. and i think that there needs to be somehow um i guess some some form of um choice for people you know it's like expanding the choices rather than saying okay this is where it's going everybody has to do that right it's like and it just is cbt it's for everybody um 40 yeah. percent yeah. are like it doesn't work for me
0: yeah I, I completely i completely understand what you're saying and i completely hear you um so you know I, uh, my concerns around it would be on the one hand, I see the benefits and I see that one size doesn't fit all and having multiple options and where it's been impactful and useful for particular people. Um, Like my two concerns are like one of them is around um, but then are we giving away even more of our personal information to uh, companies to harvest our data and, and what happens with that part of it? And then another question I have is around um so like therapy being framed in that kind of relational especially humanistic therapy in that kind of relational model of you know your kind of um your ability to interact with another human being and form connections and healthy relationships how would sort of an AI therapist play into that
1: so AI therapist the word in itself feels really unpleasant, right? So but if I th- if I think of it, like, like, you know, for want of a better word, I'm sorry, it's getting a bit spiritual now. Consciousness. Okay. Yeah, consciousness, right. So um, awareness of something. And there's, I don't know, something's happening this, I feel connected to something. Mm-hmm. Right? If, if there's like a moment of connection, I, you know, I did feel a connection to whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Right? My mind created something. Mm-hmm. This a thing I'm connecting to. Mm-hmm. And that and felt profound. I don't know. It's like, and again, I'm not talking to everybody. And I, I'm seeing autistic people in which <laughs> talking about having these profound <laughs> moments with uh chat GPT and their exchange with it and the way it responded because we, we are so prone to be misunderstood all the time.
0: Yeah. No, that that makes sense and it's great but, that that you were able to sort of establish that connection. May, maybe um my reservations are more about because I kind of um like that you know when sometimes when you know about the mechanism, the inner working of something, it becomes very very difficult to see beyond that, right? Because you've been a part of yeah. the thing that initially where you had to, you know, hand code a perceptron, uh, to, you know, to create multi layer, neural networks, um, to, to put in sort of basic levels of data for for input output is now this advanced thing, but you know, how it works at the basic level it can be very difficult to then to see beyond that but when you, you hear like someone like you talk about it and the connection and the usefulness of it that's that's exactly what we want from or what we you know all of us or most of us who've gone into AI we don't be like you know using it to 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 capitalize on on uh you know products selling people products or using it as it's like drone technology to kill innocent people we want to make like actual real tangible differences to people's lives and want to use it in an assistive way it's never going to be a replacement for a, for a whole human being because we don't fully understand what makes us us but if where it can assist and and help with the human condition I think that's amazing in whatever way it does
1: yeah and I think especially like diagnostics is gonna to, gonna to be like an area where I am I think is really important, particularly in mental health, because uh, mental health diagnoses are deeply biased mm-hmm. by the clinician's perspective. And can you say uh, more about that? Yeah. So um, again, uh, autism community, mm-hmm. misdiagnoses are very, very common. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who are on the spectrum get diagnosed with all sorts of stuff, like mm-hmm. OCD, Personality disorders, um, even bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Can and um, because of the bias of clinician, right? And then eventually, you know, people do their research, and thank God for algorithms, they suddenly get confronted with people who are similar experiences, Mm -hmm. who went through similar difficulties and figured out they were just a different neurotype, (laughs) right? And like, there's been a lot of correction thanks to technology uh, about um, incorrect diagnoses, particularly for the autistic community. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why it will be helpful in diagnostics is to remove one's own perspective and really get into the deep yeah. end of the details of why some some symptoms might be there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. And on the back of that, I mean, the prime example where you are with your startup is diagnostics. Yeah, right?
0: yeah. Yeah, but um, we have barriers to access as well that are rooted in uh, sexism and racism and, you know, that so, um, you know, research shows that even, you know, people who look like me who want to have access to funding because of human, you know, the, the 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 obstacle being another person at the end of the line and that person's generally white male, um, you're less likely to get funded for something that you're trying to make a difference and you have to, prove yourself like tenfold in comparison to someone who's got some Mickey Mouse idea who gets millions of pounds just that you know bankrolled so that can be quite exhausting
1: oh absolutely and I hear you so um, it's going to it needs to change yeah It needs to change. And you know, the thing I'm optimistic about, I see influencers, and again, this is opinions of influencers. (laughs) Like, you know, saying this is a fact, but AI is going to generate the next wave of millionaires. Mm -hmm. And...
0: um, Ideally, we don't want millionaires. We want everyone to to, to benefit, for it to benefit humanity, not make people millionaires.
1: See, and um, these are mainly people who work in marketing.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: So, because capitalism is like you know having a blast at the moment, and you know the thing is, um, I think um, I you know well I don't want to be a millionaire, but also I don't want to live under capitalism like how you know puts a burden on on the things you can do and can't do. Mm. I think... Keep going. And my hope is that, you know, this will help to balance out the inequalities in how wealth is distributed in some way.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think everyone deserves to have financial stability. Um, And so far, AI has been used massively to capitalise and to sell people things, they don't necessarily need or to enrage people, and their kind of, um, you know, uh, opinions, their political opinions, you know, polarizing people, all these kind of like, chaos, chaos, results in financial gain for the few, doesn't it? Like, you know, how much money do these social media platforms make of, you know, divisiveness? And, selling us things that we don't necessarily need, that we wouldn't have considered until an algorithm put it in front of us. Um, And I think, primarily, you know, AI should be used to, for like, for good, for the, you know, the betterment of humanity, um, for the advancement of society. I mean, that's the motto of my startup. So, you know, um, so, yeah, for me, it's like, I kind of I always find it disappointing when when people are capitalizing using a technology that I'm so passionate about uh, for for things that are not for the good of humanity and society. But you know, if we can do it for the betterment of society and we do live in a capitalist society and if we, you know, if we if that helps us financially in some way, I think, you know, if the overall goal is um is one of um you know helping others um it's just the system we live under, there isn't it so
1: so let's wrap this up for today with a call to action yeah um what is it that we could put out there and see like, you know, whether there's feedback, is there like any question or any thought or any call to action that we can um, have at the end?
0: I think from, like on this one in particular, it'd be great to know what um, what people's perceptions are of AI. Like what, what, are, what are their backgrounds? What are their perceptions of AI? What are their expectations of AI? And see how that kind of, helps drive some of our content, what they'd like to see and hear from us as well.
1: Yes, and also, yeah, if if there's anybody who has or is using AI mm-hmm. to change things for humanity rather than mm-hmm. <laughs> capitalistic, yes. you know, that'd be great to hear from those because at the moment it's only like, I'm I'm, I'm hearing from people who are using it for Gain financial, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's that's fine, but you know, I'm wondering if there's like an, another area of AI mm-hmm. that is potentially overlooked and not seen at the moment because of the fear. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so if you are in AI working in an AI, uh, AI environment or developing products or services that are not only aim, ga- aimed at gain or profit so i don't know uh, uh, Waffle, waffle 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 get in touch please that's the call to action i want to put out there it's
0: a great call to action
1: and the second call to action what else would you like to know about ai because here's an expert (laughs) (laughs) or psychotherapy or trauma or anything tell us yeah so oh, thank you, Frema, it's been a pleasure to start this podcast with you and we did it.
0: Yeah, and it's been a pleasure it with you as well. Let's see how it goes.